This is Macro Horizons, episode 185. Sure, at some point. Presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of August 22nd. And with the FOMC minutes signaling smaller rate hikes at some point, it strikes us that at some point will be a busy day. We'll be at the gym, calling mom, filing taxes, eating better, catching up on sleep, and learning better jokes. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the U.S. rates market put in a notably choppy performance. We started the week with a modest bid that was quickly reversed in the run-up to the FOMC minutes. After the minutes were digested, the market then subsequently rallied back with 10-year yields in the 280 to 293 zone for much of the week. The top questions for the week focused on whether or not the Fed is going to go 75 or 50 basis points in September and whether in the near term, 10-year yields would retest 3%. We've long been in the peak yields camp, suggesting that the 3.5% level in tens will represent the upper bound for yields for the cycle. In fact, it's also difficult to envision a retest of 325, given everything that's playing out in the global economy. That said, revisiting a three-handle should certainly be on the table, even if that isn't our core call for the next several weeks. It's well within the bounds of reasonable expectations to look at 3% as a key level in the run-up between Jackson Hole and the September 21st FOMC rate decision. We'll have updated information in the form of the August payrolls numbers as well as the August CPI figures in that period. In the event that those two data points surprise on the upside, The expectations for a 75 basis point move will be increased, and that could drag longer dated yields higher in sympathy. And now we still think that that will ultimately translate to a deeper curve inversion, but nonetheless, 3% tens is not an unreasonable level. Another aspect of the current trading dynamic in treasuries is the fact that we have now seen two back-to-back weeks of Japanese foreign bond buying. The MOF data showed that during the week ending August 12th, Japanese investors bought $8.6 billion in overseas notes and bonds. That represented the largest buying in a single week since November 7th of 2021, when 10-year yields were just 150. In addition, the $8.6 billion in buying was on top 
of the 6.1 billion in purchases that were seen in the prior week. So on net, it appears that Japanese investors are once again engaged in purchasing overseas bonds. Now, the degree to which those flows translate into buying for treasuries remains to be seen, and a better proxy for that information will come in the form of the monthly MOF flows, which won't be available until the first week of September. Nonetheless, the price action does suggest that there has been some dip buying interest, and whether that is on a hedged back-to-yen basis or not, the bigger takeaways of this dynamic reinforces our peak yield assumption. Well, Ian, it was an August trading week that lived up to August's reputation, but that doesn't mean that nothing was learned in the past week in the U.S. rates market. On Wednesday specifically, there was a 20-year refunding auction, July's retail sales data, and probably most importantly, the July FOMC minutes that gave some clarity on how the Fed is thinking about its future tightening and where they evaluate the risks lie as they push policy beyond what they've deemed neutral and into restrictive territory. I do think that the biggest takeaway from the week really was that the treasury market remains in a range trading consolidation mode as the month of August unfolds. Now, that said, the biggest implication from the FOMC minutes was that the Fed will downshift the pace of rate hikes at some point. The more relevant question quickly becomes, when is that point? On the margin, the fact that the FOMC minutes represented a period before the Fed had the 0.0 CPI print for the month of July does, if anything, put a check in the column for the 50 basis point rate hike argument at the September 21st meeting. All of that being said, Powell made it abundantly clear that monetary policy at this juncture is in a data-dependent mode. And so this puts the emphasis on the September 2nd release of non-farm payrolls for the month of August, and then the September 13th release of the August CPI data. And along with that discussion on data dependence, there was also another inflationary detail that the Fed felt necessary to flag within the minutes surrounding the price action we've seen in the energy complex. Ian, as you touched on, this was even before we saw the bulk of the pullback in gas prices and July's CPI data. But clearly, the decline in oil prices was on the Fed's radar. And while, yes, they knew that was going to take some of the edge off headline inflation, they went as far as to explicitly say that further declines that will bring down prices can't be relied upon. There's obviously always the risk of another supply side shock that once again puts upward pressure on oil and gas prices. So this suggests that even though we've seen average gas prices drop below $4 a gallon, that's not durable enough to make the Fed any more patient in their rate hikes. And why, as you've mentioned, Ian, the question is not on a pause in September or even a 25 basis point hike. It's still very much a 50 or 75 basis point decision. And that is something that's ultimately going to be up to both NFP and CPI. As far as the incoming Fed speak is concerned, the primary theme over the course of the week was that it's too early to claim victory on inflation. And if nothing else, that does continue to suggest that, as you point out, Ben, the debate is 50 or 75. It's not whether or not the Fed is close to pausing at this stage. So in terms of translating that through 
to price action in the treasury market, I have to admit that I was somewhat surprised by the bull steepening that we saw in the wake of the FOMC minutes. It wasn't surprising insofar as the market interpreted the minutes as incrementally dovish, and so the front end caught a bid, but rather the Fed was willing to signal that they might be shifting gears as it were. Again, there was nothing definitive to come out of the minutes per se, but in the run-up to Jackson Hole next week, it will be useful context, and it's safe to assume that market participants will be looking for greater clarity out of Wyoming, even if that ultimately isn't what's offered by monetary policymakers. And the debate on terminal continues to make the rounds, and whether or not the moderation that we saw in July's inflation data is going to accelerate or at least continue sufficiently to allow the Fed not to push Fed funds beyond 4% or even closer to 5%. Remember at the June update to the dot plot, we saw a terminal rate penciled in at some point in 2023, right around that 375 level. And along with any indication on what the committee will do in September, I would argue that issue might be more closely watched within the speeches we're going to hear at Jackson Hole. On the margin... I would say that the fact that the minutes showed some participants were concerned about the risk of over-tightening adds to the case for a lower terminal rate versus a higher one. And here I think lower would be 375, not 475. But nonetheless, the start of the over-tightening risk conversation hints that we're closer to the end of the tightening cycle in terms of the level of Fed funds than the beginning. It's also notable that on September 21st, we do get an update of the SEP and the beloved dot plot. So that would be a reasonable forum for the Fed to signal any shifts in their own terminal rate estimate. All else being equal, if August CPI print is somewhere in line with the benign reading that we saw in July, I think it's safe to assume that the 375 terminal assumption that we saw in June continues to hold. It's not unless we find ourselves with an outpaced core CPI and PCE print for August that one would expect to see an upward revision to the Fed's own projections of where this cycle will end. As has been the case throughout the last several weeks, the market's default position is to assume that the more quickly terminal is achieved, the more quickly we'll see the first rate cuts on the other side of the cycle. We'll take the other side of that debate and suggest that the most practical way that the Fed can continue to demonstrate its hawkishness in 2023 will be to hold monetary policy at terminal longer than it has in prior cycles. So historically, the Fed has held terminal between three and 15 months with an average of six and a half months. So assuming that the Fed achieves terminal by the end of this year, that would imply by the second half of next year, the Fed should be in cutting mode. What will be interesting to see is how the Fed chooses to communicate to market participants the notion that they can, in fact, hold policy rates stable even in restrictive territory, especially if we don't see a material decline in core inflation. And given that staying on hold is going to run counter to market pricing, that's going to hold tightening implications for financial conditions. And another dynamic that clients flagged frequently this week was the fact that given what we've seen in terms of a solid rebound in equities and drop in the VIX, over the past few weeks, financial conditions have actually eased quite significantly. We're now well off the tight extremes we saw in mid-June, 
And while yes, this is good for the wealth effect in 401k balances, as Powell and the Fed want to continue tightening financial conditions to slow the economy and bring inflation down, the fact that we're seeing them ease even as the FOMC gets ready to deliver another 50 or 75 basis point hike, all else equal, should give the Fed cover or maybe even inspire them to move more aggressively. Now, this doesn't mean they want financial conditions to surge tighter and market conditions to become disorderly, but nor do they want an unduly easy backdrop given their endeavors to bring the rate of inflation down. The notion that financial conditions remain easier than one might have otherwise assumed is very topical and would be an interesting discussion point at Jackson Hole. It's very reasonable to assume that at least some of the discussion would be timely enough that this dynamic might be addressed. Obviously, it's difficult to know how the Fed will come down on a topic because if nothing else, it implies a higher terminal rate since effectively the market is taking away some of the potency of the Fed's rate hikes. But at the end of the day, one of the things that remains on our radar is a sharp and unexpected spike tighter in financial conditions as a result of the performance of risk assets, whether that is a more dramatic equity sell-off or a credit event, either developing in emerging markets or as a response to the dimming global outlook. And it wasn't just a monetary policy story this week, nor will it be next week. This week, we did get the final nominal coupon refunding auction in the form of $15 billion worth of 20s that required a fairly significant concession in the two and a half basis point tail. But given what we've seen historically in very similar fashion to 30s, generally speaking, new issue 20-year auctions have tailed. And particularly in the wake of the Treasury Department's decision not to cut 20s more aggressively and reinforce their commitment to the 20-year program as a whole, I would say even after a reasonable round of cheapening into the event itself, the tail was very much in keeping with market expectations. And next week, along with Jackson Hole, we do get twos, fives, and sevens for August that we'll be watching for, especially during the early part of the week and what's probably going to be some quiet summer trading to offer a bit of a flattening concessionary impulse, or at the very least an offset to any significant steepening we might see coming out of the weekend. Now, given especially the two-year sector's sensitivity to monetary policy expectations, there is definitely an event risk factor to consider ahead of Jackson Hole, but overall the sponsorship we've seen for the front end and belly of the curve in the primary market this year has been solid, and that's not something that's likely to change this week. I would add that it is certainly not lost on investors that price action has been choppy, although it's been very much within a well-established range that includes the front end of the market. Although in the run-up to the two-year auction, as you point out, Ben, it's not unreasonable to assume that we see a retest of some of the local highs in terms of yields, which implies a deeper inversion in the twos tens curve. This benchmark spread dipped as low as negative 58 basis points and has begun to establish something of a consolidation range between negative 35 and negative 45 basis points. A building volume bulge around negative 40 basis points resonates, and it's also consistent with the idea that the Fed is going to continue to push forward with rate hikes. The balance sheet will reach its terminal unwinding velocity in September, and at the end of the day, tighter monetary policy will slow the real economy, undermine the jobs market, 
and eventually curtail both inflation and demand in a significant way. As we've lamented in the past, it is very difficult to envision a truly soft landing and Powell's acknowledgement that the path to avoid a recession has become narrower is very telling insofar as monetary policymakers are willing to trade long-term price stability for a short-term recession. Do you still call a tightrope a path? Yes, but it's a very, very, very tricky one. It's easy to get tripped up. In the week ahead, the Treasury market will have the final full week of August. Within the trading week, we'll see 44 billion two years auctioned on Tuesday, 45 billion five years auctioned on Wednesday, and the final coupon auction of the week will be 37 billion seven years on Thursday. The monetary policy highlight will be Jackson Hole. Now, historically, information regarding the scheduled topics, if nothing else, will become available in the run-up to the event, but ultimately, it's probably Friday's headlines that tend to be the most tradable. That will leave the market with monetary policy very much top of mind. We came out of the July FOMC meeting under the distinct impression that the Fed would go either 75 or 50 basis points in September. Nothing has provided any greater clarity, although it is notable that investors are not looking for 25, nor are they looking for a pause next month. So it's a relatively narrow range. So while the immediate outcome between 50 and 75 basis points is very meaningful, there is at least some agreement on the part of market participants. The Fed Fund's futures market is currently pricing in roughly 63 basis points of hikes, which unsurprisingly is somewhere between 50 and 75. From the perspective of monetary policymakers, there's very little difference between a 50 basis point rate hike in September and another 50 basis point move in November and 75 at the upcoming meeting followed by 25 right before the midterms. It really comes down to signaling and what the Fed would like to communicate to investors. All else being equal, a larger sized rate hike in September would bias the market toward a higher terminal rate assumption. The caveat here being that the September meeting does contain updated economic projections as well as the Fed's own estimate for where and when terminal will be achieved. So in the event that the Fed does choose to execute on 75, the market would then quickly look to the SEP to see if the Fed revised higher its terminal prediction. Said differently, by keeping the dot plot effectively unchanged and moving 75 basis points, that would be a way that Powell could orchestrate a dovish hike, as it were. The market implications from that would be pretty straightforward, more upward pressure on front-end rates, and a more deeply inverted two-stins curve, if nothing else. The cycle is beginning to get to the point where one might be increasingly concerned about risk assets. Given the delayed impact of monetary policy on the real economy, it falls intuitively that equity investors could increasingly see downside risks in the event that the unemployment rate starts to increase, which obviously it hasn't yet, but that certainly is on the radar. If for no other reason, then the Fed has signaled that that is part of their policy objectives at the moment. We'll also be watching credit 
as well as emerging markets for any indication that tighter monetary policy is beginning to flow further through to the performance of risk assets. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. And with new reports indicating COVID can lead to long-term memory loss, we're reminded of something, but we just can't seem to recall it. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.